So the future of Middle Earth is in great peril, unless a hero can arise to carry and destroy a powerful ring. Our candidates include the most powerful wizard in the world, an immortal warrior elf, a rock-crushing dwarf with a ZZ Top beard, and a small hobbit who likes to eat six meals a day and avoid adventure of any kind. <clears throat> the future of the magical and muggle worlds are in great peril, unless heroes can arise to defeat the greatest dark wizard of all time. Our candidates include the most powerful good wizard of all time, the collective power of the Ministry of Magic, all of the adults who are powerful and responsible, or a group of children who barely know the basics. The future of God's people is in great peril unless a king can arise, a new king, to lead and protect the people from internal and external threats alike. Our candidates include the wise and skilled warrior prince, Jonathan, one of the seven sons of Jesse who are all strong, tall, and good-looking, or the youngest son of Jesse who is at home watching sheep. David, like so many characters in fiction or nonfiction, is an unlikely hero. He has emerged from the obscurity of being the forgotten brother, the unimportant son, to defeat a giant, to defeat invading armies and the schemes of a murderous king. So this is where we've been in 1 Samuel so far. But we are now at the point in the story where we are no longer surprised by David. He's still running away from a king who's trying to kill him, but he's gathered around him a large army of people who are successful in anything they set out to do. So what happens when the unlikely hero becomes the obvious hero? When the unlikely hero becomes the likely hero. Well, let's, let's find out. 1 Samuel chapter 25. A certain man who had property... Did I say this is chapter 25? Okay. Starting in verse 2. Uh, a certain man who had property there in Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats, 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was intelligent and beautiful. But her husband was rude and mean in his dealings. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and to your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my people, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. This is interesting because David sounds a little bit like a mob boss who's like, we did a favor for you, so you got to do a favor for us, right? <laughs> like, it seems sort of weird. We didn't mistreat your people, therefore you should reward me for that. Nabal answered David's uh, servants, who is David? Who is this son of Jesse? 
Why should I take my bread and my water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to people coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did, and David strapped on his as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. Okay, so in the ancient world and in our world today, who are the obvious or likely candidates that we turn to to save the day, to save our world? The rich person and the warrior. David and Nabal, these are the likely heroes who have what society values. But like most unlikely hero stories, the great strengths of our heroes tend to become their greatest weaknesses. Nabal, the rich guy, has so much, more than he needs, but he can't afford to be generous. David, the warrior, who himself is being chased by a violent king, immediately turns to violence when he doesn't get what he wants. As a result, the future of hundreds of people on both sides are in great danger. Enter the unlikely hero, the new unlikely hero of the story. Abigail acted quickly, verse 18. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, about 300 pounds of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I will follow. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. Verse 20, as they came riding into a mountain ravine, there were David, David and his men descending toward her. And she met them, and, and she said to David in verse 30, when the Lord has fulfilled for you every good thing He promised concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, you will not have on your conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged yourself. And when the Lord your God has brought you success, remember your servant. Then in verse 35, David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, in the end, it's neither the rich man nor the warrior who saves the lives of hundreds. It's Abigail a woman in a society created by men for men. She is a peacemaker in a world of war. So, to be clear, being an unlikely hero says more about what society values than it says about any particular person. It's not a hobbit's fault that being skilled at war is more highly valued than humility and loyalty. It's not Hermione's fault that some in the magical world value bloodline more than intelligence and actual skill. This is important because women being unlikely heroes, because they're women, only perpetuates the problem of discrimination. Children being unlikely heroes, because they are children, only perpetuates the problem of ignoring their very real needs, experiences, and capabilities. Abigail is unlikely 
because society has confined her to limited roles and limited opportunities. But she is clearly more intelligent, more strategic, more subversive, and more effective than either her rich husband or the warrior king. She is the only one in the story who uses her resources and her power well. She's the only one in the story who uses what she has in the service of peace, because peace ultimately isn't highly valued by society. So, uh, at the risk of adding a, another ignorant voice to what is happening in Israel and Palestine, I wanted to share a little bit with you about what it's been like for me as a likely hero or an obvious hero in this particular moment. Now, obviously, like nobody is expecting me to actually solve the problem or the conflict that's happening in Israel and Palestine. But, but I am a likely hero in part because I am an American man and because I'm a Christian. So let me, let me try to explain. Americans are un, are, we're likely heroes. We're obvious heroes because as a nation, we are like Naval and David. We are rich and we are powerful, the richest and the most powerful in the world. As a result, we tend to believe the hype that we are the ones who can and should save the world. Christians are likely heroes because built into our faith story, at least the way that we've, most of us have been told our faith story, is this idea that we are supposed to save the world we are supposed to save people by converting them to Christianity, by making other people like us. So as an American Christian pastor, whether I like it or not, I have these internal expectations that I feel that I'm the one who's supposed to give the right answers in any situation. I'm the one who's supposed to show everyone else the right way. So my pastor friends and I have been talking the last couple of weeks, and we've been going crazy trying to craft the perfect statements, the perfect prayers, the perfect sermons, the perfect responses, as if the fate of the world rests upon what we say on Instagram. Can you imagine? It's all up to us. As likely heroes, our first instinct is to figure out what is the right answer. What are we supposed to say? And that is the one thing that is probably preventing us from responding well to all of this. We spend time in our offices alone trying to write the right thing. Abigail, however, she acts quickly, immediately, and she does so to protect people, to protect not only her people, but David's people. She knows because of her life experience, what greed and what war means to real people who are hurting. Her first reaction isn't, well, what is the appropriate response? Her reaction is compassion. And sometimes compassion is a lesson that's hard for us obvious heroes to learn, unless we spend more time listening and less time reacting or trying to give the answers. In 
here in Santa Monica, surrounded, all of us, surrounded by a lot of people in our own lives and, and here uh, locally, are people who are hurting. One of my closest Jewish friends told me this week, he said, this hurts in part because it's triggered feelings of generational pain that my family and my ancestors have been carrying around in their bodies for generations and generations, and it hurts because we know what our people have experienced for thousands of years. This hurts because many of us have family and friends in Israel or in Palestine, or we know people who have family and friends in Israel and in Palestine. This hurts also because we've personally experienced anti-Semitism throughout our lives. And this hurts because we're afraid. We're afraid for ourselves. We're afraid for our friends. We're afraid for our family here because we know that when things like this happened, we'll likely be targeted or mistreated even more than normal. This is true for our Muslim friends as well. This is true for, for so many people in our community. We really don't need, in this particular moment, at least here, likely heroes like myself who are giving theoretical answers to problems that we cannot solve, to problems that I personally cannot understand. What we need are unlikely heroes, people who know how to listen, people who know what it means to hurt and to feel pain, especially the pain that other people are going through. What we need, what our community needs right now, what the people in our lives need most right now is not our statements, but our compassion, our care, and our presence. Let's pray. Jesus, we're thankful that you are present with us. God, we're thankful that it, at times like this, you don't offer us answers that won't solve anything, but you offer us compassion and love. We pray for our, our Jewish friends here in Santa Monica. We pray for our Muslim friends. We pray for those who are hurting so deeply in this moment. And we pray that you would help us to be compassionate. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.